Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. at Joshua this morning briefly, this is just going to further the focus of today. And so I want you to turn to Joshua 6 and Joshua chapter 6. Um, I've been excited about sharing this with you uh, for, for some time now because this is one of the portions of Joshua and it may be the only portion of Joshua where when you hear the book of Joshua mentioned, you go, oh, Joshua and the battle of Jericho. This is what I hear. This is what we love doing this with children's ministry because you can set up a bunch of blocks or something and have them walk around and then, you know, the, the walls fall down, right? And uh, the, the benefit of these stories is we recognize and we know them. The downside is when we come to a passage of scripture that we often know and we often are familiar with, we can become complacent in the lessons and the teaching that comes as a result. To where it just becomes, oh, I know this story, but it doesn't really take any deep-rooted meaning and transformation in our lives as the church. So my prayer is that we will do just that this morning, that we will bring new light to this well-known Bible story in Joshua chapter 6. Now, here's where we're at up to this point. Up to this point in the narrative of Joshua, the nation of Israel has now successfully crossed into the promised land. They've made it, okay? And this is a big deal. It's a new generation. The old generation has passed away because of their disobedience to the Lord. The new generation is now in the promised land. They've seen God perform a miracle as he dammed up the Jordan River and they walked across on dry land. Right before this, the nation of Israel is circumcised because of the commitment to the Lord according to the promise, covenant with Abraham. And so they do that as soon as they cross over and they have just celebrated Passover, which was a reminder of what God had done in Egypt years prior. Okay, a reminder of the faithfulness of the Lord. Now, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to cling to this. This truth this morning, and we're going to unpack this further in the story of Jericho, but I want you to hold tight to this. And that is that God uses that which seems impossible in order that he will get the glory. God uses that which seems impossible so that he will get the glory. Now, I don't know about you, but when I stop and think about how I like things to be, I like things to be predictable. I like things to be able to be estimated. I like to be able to kind of know and prepare for what I'm expecting to happen or take place. I like to have things organized or in order. And so often, in my own experience, and I believe that's true for many of you as well, God shows up in ways that make you look at it and go, What? I never would have thought that it would happen this way. If you look back, one of the one of the questions I love to ask people is if you were to look back across the course of your life and see how everything has unfolded 
And then to consider if God had revealed that this would be the way things would go for you, every detail of your life, would you have still wanted to live it? It's a challenging reality to consider, right? Because as we look at those challenging times of our life where God shows up in the biggest ways, those are often the most painful experiences that we've endured. And in the moment, in the season we're going through that, we go, I want this to end, I want this to be over, I want this to be done. How many of you have been there? Okay, I definitely have. And yet it's in the midst of those times God often shows up in ways that if it were to go our way and we were to remain in our comfort and do it our way, we would miss seeing God do the impossible through it. So in this story, in this narrative of Joshua, we come to this place where there's getting ready to step into they've they've not only stepped into the promised land but now they have to obey the lord and conquer the land as he called them to settle in it so let's start at verse one joshua chapter six we're going to do a couple of verses but then we're going to summarize chunks of this and draw out some application in verse one it says now jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of israel none went out and none came in. Now, most of us skip over this verse, but if we really stop and consider this, we could step back and from Israel's perspective, we could go, well, this isn't a good start. And when answering the question, why was it all sealed up? If we go back to previous sections of Joshua, we know that it's sealed up because the nations had heard what the Lord had done amongst his people. And they went, we're just going to avoid coming into contact with them at all. So nobody went in or out. Nobody went either way. The doors were sealed. It's locked up. Now, understand that Israel's history at this point has not been one of military power or fervor. What they are known for is the God they serve. When Egypt came after them, they did not turn to military instincts or efforts They cowered and actually verbally longed to go back into slavery. That's how they responded. When coming to the promised land the first time, they clearly allowed their own feelings of inadequacy to get in the way of God's sovereignty. Disobeying and costing them the opportunity to step into the Lord's promises. So here we are now, the first city in the promised land, a new generation of Israelites, and the gates are sealed. Now, this ultimately brings a new depth of meaning to what Yahweh God says in verse 2. Let's look at that. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this for the first time a few weeks back, And I put myself in Joshua's shoes and I'm standing before sealed gates of Jericho. And the Lord says, see, I've given Jericho into your hands. I'm going. God, are you are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Is this this is what you've given me now? Joshua clearly didn't have that response. He was a man of faith. But how often do we have that response? Where the Lord has shown us clearly where there's victory. He's shown us clearly what He has promised. He's been faithful time and time and time and time again, as we've sung about this morning. 
and we face another obstacle and the Lord's promises remain true and we read scripture and we go, really? Lord, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Because I don't see how you're going to bring victory out of this. This is where it's super crucial for us to stop and understand that it is the Lord who fights the battle. The Lord is the one who fights for his people. And this is actually further emphasized if we go to the end of chapter 5 in verses 13 through 15 of Joshua. Where it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. We see a similar emphasis in Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament, where it says, If God is for us, who can be against us? The Lord is the one who fights the battle for his people. Now, in verses 3 through 5, we see what I like to call God's ridiculous plan. Okay? And we've got to call it for what it is. And if you don't know what this ridiculous plan is, let's read and find out. Verse 3 says, You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, Thus shall you do for six, everyone say six, six days, seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, everyone say seven, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Now, we really have to wonder, in light of this plan, what the people's thoughts were the first time they heard it. I just have to wonder. And we don't know, okay? It's not recorded, but I just have to think. Imagine being someone in the nation of Israel, and Joshua comes back and says, Okay, guys, God gave me our plan. And you've got all these men who've been military guys, Strong guy, all right, what are we doing? What's the plan? All right, so we're going to walk around the walls for six days, one time a day. The priests are going to blow the trumpets. Okay, I like where this is going. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. More walking? And, and then we're going to shout and the walls are going to fall down. What? This is ridiculous. Right? This is unheard of. Clearly, this is a military campaign. But what's the difference? The difference is God uses that which seems impossible in order that He and He alone will get the glory. Now, what's even further interesting, if you jump down to verse 10 of Joshua chapter 6, it says, But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout, or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. Not only is God's plan completely out of the box, unheard of, 
But Joshua says to the people, you are to be silent for six days. And all the way around, seven times on the seventh day, you're to be quiet. Not to say anything, not to shout nothing until I give the command. Now this is actually really similar to what Moses said to the people as they faced the Red Sea. Clear back in Exodus chapter 14 where it actually says, verses 13 and 14, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now for some of you, that may be the application you need to hear today. Be quiet. And allow the Lord to work. And when, it, when, when I say for some of you, some of you it's not verbal, it's with your fingers. Be quiet and allow the Lord to work. Okay? Or maybe, maybe this is outdated, maybe now it's this, right? Angry texting! Okay? Be silent. And allow the Lord to work. Now, I am not saying in that that there is not times for for us to speak up and speak out. But where we are called to speak up and speak out is primarily the gospel of Jesus. And unfortunately, as the church, we have long historically spoken out primarily about political, personal, cultural agendas. And then when someone is given to us an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus, we go, oh, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know where to go. I, you know, I'm going to take him to my pastor. That's what I'll do. May we speak with boldness the gospel and the word of Jesus. Amen? So, day seven comes. We can almost feel the tension in the camp. Six days of repetition, but today would be different. Not just one time, but seven. Each pass itching closer and closer to what the Lord had promised to do. They come around the walls for the last time, the trumpets sounding, and then at one long blast, days of silence are interrupted with the command of Joshua, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city! And in a moment, the people shout, the walls shake and fall flat, and the people rush straight ahead as they were told, devoting everything of Jericho to destruction except for Rahab and her family. God uses that which seems impossible in order that He will get the glory. Now, church, when we think about how we apply a story like Joshua, there's already multiple applications that have been brought out. But there's a couple of questions we should ask. One of the first ones, when people read Joshua chapter 6 and they come to verse 21, where it says, Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. A lot of people wrestle with this. Why, Lord? Why all? Every, every living thing, young, old, men, women, it didn't matter. Why, why, Lord? Why? How could God devote this people to destruction? And I would encourage you, if you write in your Bible margins or if you're taking notes, I want you to jot down Genesis 15, 16. 
And in Genesis 15, 16, God is actually talking to Abraham. And uh, he tells Abraham, he says, And they shall come back here, speaking of the nation of Israel, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Do you understand that the sinfulness of these nations went back hundreds of years before the time of Israel stepping into the promised land? God is a patient God. And oftentimes we read the Bible as if it's just snap one thing after another, boom, 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 boom. It's not. There's hundreds of years of time that are passing between the events of Scripture, and it's important we understand that. And here specifically, these people, the people in the promised land, had had years and years and years and years and years to turn to the Lord in repentance, and they had not done so. And we might say, well, how could the Lord in His goodness and in His grace cause this to be? Well, I want to remind you that oftentimes as human beings, we tend to have the best view of not only other people but ourselves, and yet God sees the depth of our sinfulness And the core of who we really are. That doesn't change God's patient nature. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. God is patient, church, but He will not wait forever. This should bring an urgency when we consider the mission of the church to go into the world and make disciples, sharing the hope of the gospel that we have been entrusted with. Because... The day of the Lord will come. And He now is being gracious. He's given this period of time. And not only has He done that, He's given us His Son. He's given us Christ that we could have life and life eternal. The hard reality for us to wrestle with is how much do we convince ourselves that we are okay. That there is more time that I'm good enough. Another question we need to ask as we think about Joshua 6 and the story is, in what situations is God asking you to be silent and trust His sovereignty? In what situations are you facing right now is God saying, just be silent? As Psalm 46 would say, be still and know that I am God. Not you. Know that I am God. I read this quote in a book this, uh, this last week as I was studying. It's by Dale Ralph Davis in his book on Joshua, which I would highly recommend. It's a great companion to reading the book of Joshua. But he said this, Sometimes we need to see that Yahweh is not so much partisan as sovereign, that it is more important to recognize God's position than to know God's plans. We can easily become more interested in special guidance than in right relationship with the guide. I want to read that last sentence one more time. We can easily become more interested in special guidance than in right relationship with the guide. 
And today you may need to be quiet and submit to the authority of the one who is guiding you. Lastly, I just want to reemphasize this truth. God uses that which seems impossible in order that he will get the glory. Sometimes he'll use a trial. Sometimes he'll make you wander in the desert. Sometimes it's a storm. Sometimes it's the waves of the sea. And you go, there's no possible way for us to get through this. God uses that which is impossible so that he would get the glory. Specifically, I like the metaphor of the waves on the sea. And then we remember the story of Jesus in the Sea of Galilee. Your Savior walks on the water. And like Peter, we can't seem to take our eyes off the waves. Church, I want to close with reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 31. As we think about that which God uses for His glory. Some of you may be wrestling with this hard reality that you feel inadequate, you feel weak. You feel, especially in the current cultural climate, that there's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you can bring to fruition that's going to make a difference. I know there's been many days this last week that I have felt those things. But then I came to 1 Corinthians 1 this week. And the reminder of God's faithfulness to His people in Israel to take that which seemed crazy and impossible and bring victory out of that. And this is what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1. He said, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Church, when we consider whatever mountains lie before us, when we consider whatever walls or fortified cities lie before us, may we stand up and boast in our God who is bigger. Amen? And by the way, I haven't forgotten, we're going to do that. Okay? We're going to proclaim that truth, this serious theme that God is bigger. But beyond just proclaiming this, church, I want you to believe that to be true. I want you to know as you leave here beyond a shadow of a doubt that whatever lies beyond these doors that you're facing this next week or month or year, that the God of the Bible is bigger than all of that. And even when it may seem impossible to move forward one more step, remember that God is in the business of using the impossible so that we may not boast in anything but Him. Amen? So I'm going to count to three. And I want you to proclaim, I want you to do this the first time, like powerful, God is bigger, okay? And then I'm going to pray and we're going to close with a chorus of one of those songs before we go out together, all right?
Here we go. We ready? One, two, three. Amen. Father, you are. May we not just speak those words, but may we believe it to be true and live in light of these truths. May we boast in your name, Father, that you would be glorified above all else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great. How great is our God. May it be so today, church. Amen. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Every time we open God's Word together, our prayer is that the Spirit of God would convict, challenge, and cultivate the listener in a way that moves them from where they are towards where God wants them to be. And as part of this, we have staff and volunteers available to pray for and with you. We have multiple opportunities for further growth and care from birth all the way into adulthood. So if you're feeling pushed to dive deeper and you aren't sure where to begin, give us a call at 647-4278 or email us at office at cantonefree.com. If you're interested in more than just audio, you can find full video of this message and more along with additional resources at our website, cantonefc.com. Thanks again for listening. Know you are loved and we pray God's blessing over you for 2021.